Well, if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you've just joined us, and I see some new faces today, uh, welcome to the group. We've been looking at this epistle, this epistle of grace. Uh, you realize that not only does it mention grace more per word than any book of the New Testament, it also uh, has another distinctive, and that is 25% of the occurrences of the word suffering occur in, in the New Testament, occur in this little epistle. 25% of all occurrences of suffering in the New Testament are found here. And we'll see why today. In fact, the first mention of suffering is in the text we're going to look at. Well, as we've been looking at this book, and by the way, I forget to always say this, but the October 26th event, if you've not registered, that's here. It's free. It's not a fundraiser. Thigpen's coming. Uh, I've talked about that. You can go online. We, I think there's only like 20 seats left. So if you haven't registered, you need to do it. This is open to anyone. So it's, and we're going to be, he's going to be addressing how do we know God well? What does that mean? Uh, and I assure you, come ready for a worship service because it will be spectacular. Well, anyway, going to First Peter chapter 2, but even looking at what we've seen thus far, we, we've established or Peter's established our salvation and all that it entails in the prologue. It springs out into four commands, doesn't it? In chapter one, we talked about setting our minds on hope, walking in holiness, revering God, and loving one another. Those commands are what we're going to see even in this section as they're woven into a tapestry of what it means to practically live for God. And that's what we're going to see here today as he addresses not only government, but the issue of slaves, and, and we'll talk about application there when we get there. We're not meeting next week. Keep that in mind. It's on the calendar. Uh, it's on our cards. We will resume on the 18th of October. Unfortunately, uh, with fall break and some things, we just don't, we won't, but we won't be here next week. So make sure you note that. I'll send out a reminder as well. But when we resume, we're going to look at the, another category of where all of this is intertwined in godly living, and that's going to be husbands and wives. So if you're married or even unmarried, uh, we're going to deal with some difficult stuff when we get to First uh, Peter uh, ladder into 3. Uh, usually when we talk about husbands and wives, folks go to Paul's writings in Ephesians, don't they? Ephesians 5, or they look at Colossians. Uh, we don't always go to First Peter, but he also has a few things to say, and we'll look at that. But today, look at verse uh, 11 of chapter 2. These two verses kind of give an overarching statement for uh, really all the way through to end of chapter 4 about what does it mean to, to live out our faith, our identity in Christ, uh, and fulfilling these commandments. What does that entail? And so he starts off in verse 11, Dear friends, which, by the way, indicates we've now moved to a different topic. It's an unfortunate uh, break, at least, and I'm using the uh, New English uh, translation. They've, they've not divided it here, and I would have. Verse 11 starts a whole new section. I urge you as foreigners and exiles. We've already seen that twice he's mentioned this. This is not our home. It's not that they are refugees living in another country, but uh, on a spiritual level, this isn't our home. And he says, I keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians, so that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, and we know that even early on in the church, Christians were even accused of uh, cannibalism, 
because uh, they said, you know, you, you eat the flesh, you drink the blood, and there were all, all host of accusations leveled against Christians, because after all, they wouldn't do what everyone else was doing, right? They didn't belong to the guilds, they didn't, weren't involved in the sexual immorality, etc., etc. <clears throat> and some of you are saying, well, I know what that's like to be maligned for not doing what everyone else is doing, and that's what they're facing here. They may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Let's look at this uh, briefly, and then we'll, we'll unpack this as it looks to uh, the government in a second. Uh, I mentioned there in your notes this whole idea of this general command. It's, it's believers aren't to live for themselves. Notice what he says. You're not to con- living out in fleshly desires. In your notes, I mentioned this is unbridled impulses is what we're talking about here. And certainly fleshly is, is man-centered. It's self-centered in, in particular. The things of this world you're, you should not be a part of because you're a foreigner. You're an alien. And so the, these are things you shouldn't be doing. Instead, he says believers are to live. He says there's two, two reasons here in the text. Did you catch it? One is to glorify, <clears throat> excuse me, to glorify the Lord. But he says they may see, that is the world, may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Uh, he, he's quoting loosely from Isaiah 10. And I think what he's saying is throughout the New Testament, the only people who glorify the Lord are believers. So what he's saying is they see your actions, it's going to bring them to Christ so they will be exalters of the Lord's glory when he appears, just like you will be. Now, some see this as one of judgment, but to glorify God is always spoken of as believers. Questions on that? Uh, There's some scholars who argue, no, 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 Uh, they'll see your good deeds and it will be judgment upon them. And so when Christ comes, they're going to... Ooh, you know, here's the great judge. I, I don't see that. I, I see these. They're gonna. Your actions are gonna bring many to Christ, and we'll see this in when we look, in particularly with husbands and wives, when we get to that section. Marshall, in his commentary, makes a very intriguing statement, and I put it in your notes. <clears throat> he said, "It this command to maintain a good conduct requires of Christians that they actively involve themselves in the light." of the world rather than retreating from it. He's right. In other words, how, how are they going to see your deeds, etc., if you're not engaged in the world? And that is one of the dangers, isn't it, of uh, only hanging out with believers. All right? And we can easily do that in our culture. You know, you can go to church, you can do the Christian daycare, you can do the Christian schools, you can do the the Christian social clubs, the Christian, you know, the list goes on, and and we're not out there. And um, and, and so it it is, it's a reminder that, no, we're, yes, we're foreigners, but we're the salt and light in this this dark place, and we, we are providing hope. Questions on this overarching statement, 11 and 12, this sets us up then for what we're going to see first with the government. Uh, I told Micah, Micah's in charge of the American family. Well, you're not in charge, but yeah, you are. Uh, American family. And so I said, Micah, you should have had you speak here today on the issue of government and, and our role as believers. But let's look what Peter has to say in verse 13. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, today is he's on there. There's a final judgment when we appear to trust before God, second coming. What day? I was afraid someone would ask that. No, that's good. Um, 
literally, you are correct. The NIV does a nice job of rendering it um, as is seen in Isaiah 10. And the context of Isaiah 10 is judgment. And so the day of visitation is seen as the day of judgment. The problem I have with that is the idea that they're supposed to glorify God. Because, as we said, only in Scripture is that used of believers. And so the Net Bible has taken it to glorify God when He appears. The second coming idea is how they're saying it. Uh, so there is an interpretation here in the Net. Does anyone have the ESV? The Extraordinarily uh, Standard Version? What's it say? Glorify God on the day of his visitation. Yeah, visitation. the day of visitation. So they're trying to keep, yep. Uh, anyone have a King James or a new King James? Day of visitation. Yeah, so there's, there's a couple ways to render that. And uh, I'm sorry if it's frustrating at times I'm using the Net Bible. Um, there are plenty of English versions, but that's the problem as well. There's plenty of English versions. And so sometimes following is hard. Yes. Well, that's what... I'm arguing that's what the net's doing, but it could be judgment. So it could be either um, they're going to glorify God in, in exaltation and understanding that He is glorious and I am not, and I'm a sinner and I'm being judged, or it could be I'm glorifying God because when He comes, it's going to be one glorious thing because I, I've trusted Him. So there's two ways to render that. I go for the latter. Yep. Well, I love those footnotes and ESV. Well done. Yes. Verse 13. Be subject to every human institution. That's a loaded term, by the way. Uh, there's another word that we often use. What's your English version say? Be, or does it say submit? Does anyone have submit? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that term submission is a four-letter word today. <laughs> Uh, but it's a biblical term, and it means to obey. And this is, this is difficult, because remember, who's in charge when Peter's writing this letter, most likely? Who's the emperor? Nero. Nice guy. A nice guy. Uh, he's not a candidate for your next pastorate position. Uh, you only need to know a little of Nero to realize not only did he kill believers, but, I mean, the man was morally bankrupt. Right, And he says, watch what Peter says, to every human institution, every one of them, for the Lord's sake, don't miss that clause. We'll get to that in a minute. Whether to a king, which in reference here is, is the emperor, as supreme, or to governors as though he commissions to punish wrongdoers and praise those who do good. For God wants you to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Live as free people. Now, this is amazing because of the audience, many of them are slaves. And he's saying, live as a freed man. A freed man is someone who is indebted to someone who bought your freedom. In this case, it's who? Who's bought our freedom? The Lord, Christ, right? Freedom as pretext for evil, but as God's slaves. Then he gives this, it's like a Gatlin gun. Honor all people, love the family believers, fear God, honor the king. Boom. Let's unpack this because in a first read, it can be very difficult. Because later he's going to say to slaves, even if your master is cruel and unjust, you're to obey him. <coughs> even if Nero is emperor, he deserves the respect 
or he, he deserves our submission. Let me put it this way. All right. He deserves our obedience. Let me unpack it. Then Bill will open it for questions because uh, I, I don't, let me, uh, this might help answer a few questions. First of all, notice that the extent of our obedience and as well as I will argue the limitations of our obedience is the phrase for the Lord's sake. In other words, the reason I obey the government ultimately is because I have allegiance to the Lord. That's number one. On another level, however, I obey up to the point that it doesn't do, create problems with giving glory to God. If a law causes me to sin, I have to break that because my allegiance is ultimately to the Lord. Let me, let me, I mentioned David's in your notes there. The phrase on account of the Lord limits submission for submission can never be to anything he does not will. In other words, a Christian is responsible to all forms of rightful human authority except when the command entails sin. You say, well, uh, where do you see that? Look at chapter 3, verse 17. For it's better to suffer for doing good if God wills than for doing evil. And I think that's the context you could argue. Listen, uh, if you disobey the law, you could be harmed. (laughs) You could go to jail. But if it breaks God's law, then, then I have to adhere to God's law, right? Not human law. So the phrase, for the Lord's sake, puts some parameters on this. It gives us the extent, but it also gives us the limits to, to where our obedience lies. Now, let me give you one more, and then we'll open it up. The second thing he states is the basis for this. And, and did you catch this? In the, there's three things that he gives the basis for this, all right? And this is on the top of page two, but our obedience is grounded in the will of God, in the salvation he extended towards us, and in our enslavement to him. Let me repeat those. So our obedience is grounded in God's will. Who placed the government? Ultimately, God. Romans 13, Paul is very clear. The government does not bear the sword in vain. In other words, it... It's been given the responsibility of capital punishment and should do so. That's a whole other discussion, by the way. Uh, we won't go there. But bearing the sword in vain is not so they... Uh, he's talking about taking off a head. Uh, and that's Paul's words. Uh, Peter is also saying that. Our salvation is the basis as well. We are his. And ultimately, we're enslaved to God. And we do what God asks. And that's why we obey governments that God has put in position... Even the Nero's for for allegiance ultimately to the Lord. Questions or comments on this? This is huge. Yes, now, Bill. There's questions about slavery in the Old <coughs> You can become a slave for owing money and stuff like that. Was this slavery like unwilling slaves, or was this slavery? We'll get to slavery in a minute. Okay. Yeah, a good question. We'll get to that here in, when we get to chapter 17 or 18 and forward. Any questions on the government? I'm surprised. This is a hard pill to swallow at times, isn't it? It's the dilemma people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer had, right? Do I go and assassinate Hitler or do I not? I had a professor years ago who argued that the American Revolution was wrong. As Christians, we should have never revolted. So 
these, these are the issues to think about. Um, Corey Timboom, the uh, you know the story of her, the the Dutch lady who hid Jews, and the, the Germans came in and she would not lie. So they asked where are the Jews hiding. She said under the table, and that was the truth. She said I will not disobey the government, but she was hiding Jews, which was illegal. So, you know where do you, these are issues you have to wrestle with. Um, whether or not you pay your taxes is a whole other matter, right? Uh, that, that's pretty straight and forward, unfortunately. That's why you need Mike Razor to help you out, and you're all right. But anyway, <laughs> John, you had a question. No. Tim. And also we have to keep in mind the governmental system is different here than it is in a democracy. So that also plays into this. And I know, Micah, you could wax eloquent on this, but that also is going to play into this, isn't it? We are part of the government, which is different than the situation here. There are those principles, though, that he lays out in verse 17. We're to honor all people. So whether you live in a democracy, a dictatorship, or whatever the case might be, we're to honor all people, including the king. In fact, he'll come back to the king at the end. <coughs> we're to love the family, which is intriguing, and that is the people of God in particular. And we are to fear God. I, I drew this cart or chart down at the in your notes because to me it was amazing as I was thinking through the commands that we saw in chapter one they parallel with the commands we're seeing in chapter 2. Again, taking those commands and weaving it into this tapestry of daily living as a believer, setting your hope where to live as freedmen, both based on our salvation, right? Uh, to be holy in all our conduct, that fits with honoring the king, honoring the people. Live in fear of reverence. Uh, verse 17, that's what we're to be doing, fearing God. And finally, loving one another, which he waxed eloquent in chapter 1. He brings back to that here with loving the family of believers. Isn't that interesting? So those four commands we're going to see peppered throughout uh, this epistle as he's applying it. He's putting some meat on what he's discussed. Well, let's look at slaves. This is where it gets a little sticky. Slaves, be subject to your masters with all reverence. I do not think that is reverence to your masters, <clears throat> but reverence is there to the Lord. Not only to those who are good and gentle masters, but watch this, also to those who are perverse. Our daughter was complaining about one of the teachers, and she said, she's just not fair. I said, well, I've been studying a text. Let me read you something. She's an authority. You don't have a choice. You pray for her. Well, that's what we'll do. So you don't know what she's going through. Let's pray for her. She didn't like that answer, but that it is, right? 19, for this finds God's favor. Now watch that. Literally, it finds God's grace. It beca it's because of conscience towards God, someone endures hardship and suffering unjustly. For what credit is it in your, if your sin, you're mistreated and endure it? Of course, you deserved it. But if you do good and suffer, there it is, the first time this occurs, this word, and so endure, this 
finds favor with God. A phrase he just repeated in verse 18. For to this you were called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example. Literally, it's the word used of, of uh, little elementary kids retracing the letters <laughs> that the teacher has put the dots, you know, and you just got to go over it so you know what the R looks like, the shape. You are, this is what you are with Christ. You follow in his steps. We talked about our identity in Christ last time we were together. He committed no sin. Now he quotes from Isaiah 53, which is what? What's that passage known for? Servant of the Lord Lord or the suffering servant. I mean, Peter goes for the juggler here, doesn't he? To those servants, he says, listen, you're to be like Christ. And notice what he says. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but committed himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in the body on the tree that we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed, for you were going astray like sheep. But now you've turned back to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Before we look at Christ as the um, par excellence uh, of examples, I want you to see three things about slavery that we need to recognize as we journey into this. Slavery was common in the first century. Uh, In fact, some argue that 30% of the Roman Empire were slaves. However, let me give a couple things here. First of all, and this is Bill, what you were asking, slavery in the first century in the Greco-Roman world was nothing like slavery as we have known it in the United States. I'm not saying there weren't injustices in first century slavery. Certainly there was. However, as I mentioned in your notes, slavery in the first century was never based on race. It allowed for slaves to become highly trained and educated. Nero married one of his own slaves. Um, We won't go there, but he did. And Roman slavery provided a means for freedom, even citizenship. In fact, oftentimes it was life was far better as a slave than it was to be a free person like a tenant farmer because you didn't know whether you were going to eat as a slave you had food provided for you by your master so vastly different uh system than we've known it in the united states secondly there are several key reasons i mean usually the argument is well the new testament is awful because never did they call for the abolition of slavery all right You'll never find a a letter from Paul saying slavery needs to cease. And so the New Testament can be attacked on that. And and I've given you a couple reasons why I think the New Testament writers never called for the dissolving of slavery. Number one, they were far more concerned about eternity, (laughs) not the things of uh, uh, injustices of the earth per se. Secondly, slavery was part of the Roman legal system. It was part of the system and in a system that the New Testament writers stated, was all established by God. And then finally, this is from Honer in his commentary on Ephesians, and it's interesting. He says, advocating for the removal of slavery could have resulted in individuals embracing Christianity for the wrong reasons. And that, that may be. I wouldn't say that's a primary reason. But never did they advocate for the abolition of slavery as they knew it in their world. And then here's the third this is where I lose a little bit of sleep and break out in a rash when I read some commentaries. We have to be very careful taking the principles here and immediately applying them to an employer-employee relationship. 
there are some vast differences between the two. All right, so just be careful as we journey through this, and hopefully I'll give you some guidelines as we move along. Well, in 18 and 20, uh, we kind of see this. Uh, we, I'm going to skip this. Um, notice in 18 through 20, and I mentioned this down at the bottom of your notes, we, we see twice God saying there is a reward. There is grace that God is going to extend to you as a slave if you are obedient. Um, I, scholars debate on what is that grace. Is it grace to... to to maneuver through the suffering? Is it ultimate grace, salvation that you have in the end? Uh, some would argue it's all of the above. And I'll let you struggle through that. But after he's laid this out, and by the way, notice again, we do this in reverence to God. It's what governs this. It's the same thing, Paul. By the way, these rules for or, and how we interact with the government, how we interact as slaves, how we interact with husbands and wives. There's a term called the house code or haustofa is what Luther called it. And that's what we're dealing with, our um, rules for social living. This is not something that's unique with the New Testament. We see these house codes in other Greco-Roman writings, ethics for life. The New Testament has applied it and the underarching principle in all of these relationships, it says unto the Lord. Ephesians 5, a text I've preached at a few weddings, the text is very clear. Women are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. He might be a louse at times. None of you guys are. But I mean, you know, uh, he may be a jerk at times. That's not the issue. Your submission is not based on how he's doing. It's based on the Lord and your relationship to him. Men, we're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. The standard, again, is Christ. And there's times when she may burn your toasties, and that may make you very upset, or she's ironed your shirt incorrectly. It doesn't matter. We're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And, and, and so... Christ becomes the standard, uh, the Lord, and you see that here as well in verse 18. Uh, slaves are to be subject with all reverence to the Lord. That's where your eyes are focused on. As citizens in America, when we look to the government, ultimately our eyes are on the Lord. Sometimes our government looks a lot like the Lord. Well, not never, but sometimes. Um, and other times it's far from the things of the Lord. But that's that's not the issue, is it? I'm the same here. And it's interesting that he would take these slaves and say the, the bottom line is Christ is our example. And I've given you some principles. Actually, I, I pulled these out of an article uh, that was written by Osborne. It's just fantastic. He says the guidelines for those who are suffering based on this text is that we are not, we, we must be innocent in our wrongdoing. <laughs> Uh, are innocent of all wrongdoing in the midst of our suffering. In other words, you shouldn't be suffering because you did wrong. That's the first guideline we see here. Just like Christ, right? He suffered, but he was innocent. Secondly, just like Christ, we cannot retaliate. Uh, that's an amazing statement. I remember some slaves were, were mistreated. And we'll get to employer-employee relationships in a minute. Yeah. Well, 
look what the text says. What does it say about Christ? Verse 23, when he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation. In other words, he did not look to pick up a sword and fight back. These are certainly principles. There's no doubt about that. And we'll get to it in a minute. This, but Peter's writing to the slaves. He's saying, listen, like Christ, this is your response. This is a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? I mean, especially as Americans where, you know, independence, justice. We continue in righteousness, he states, and we rest in knowing the Lord protects. These overarching ideas to those who are suffering is teased out from the life of Christ. He points this out. Yeah, Roger. Are we talking about suffering like uh, Pastor Bronson in Turkey? Or are we talking about something that's being done unjustly? We are, nothing to do with your faith. We're talking... You know, that it's not faith-related, not Christian witness. It's, it's the suffering here would appear to be a physical suffering, not just emotional. Yeah. Because, again... Just like Christ, who physically suffered uh, and, and didn't respond inappropriately, that's how they are to respond. You say, well, how, how does that fit with the employer-employee relationship? I, there, I think there's some overarching principles we can glean. Give me a few. Where can, where, where can we tease this out? And I've got a couple on application, but uh, what do we walk away with this? We have to be careful, obviously. Uh, I mean, you don't have to stay in your job. You could quit, right? Um, uh, no, I would. Is that a form of retaliation? Well, you couldn't quit as a slave. You can quit as an employee. Yeah. Yes, Dick. Is Joseph a good example of this? I think Joseph is a great example. Yeah. Joseph is a great example of one who walked without guile. In fact, many see Joseph as kind of like a prefigured Christ, uh, savior for his people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you know where you see where I'm going with this? I mean, how do we apply this to an employee-employer relationship? There's a little. Well, let me give you my principles, and then we'll tease out if there's more. First of all, I argue based on government, but particularly with slaves. Our commitment to the Lord must govern our conduct in all earthly relationships. All that we do or don't do is because of our focus is on the Lord. So in a workplace and you got a, a boss that's a jerk, <laughs> um, I still am doing my job well because it's to the Lord, right? First uh, Timothy 6. Look at this passage just briefly. First Timothy chapter 6. Also written to slaves. <clears throat> Many slaves came to know Christ in the first century. And this is one of the reasons they're frequently highlighted. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Those who are under the yoke as slaves must regard their own masters as deserving of full respect. I think you could easily apply that to your employer. Right? This will prevent the name of of the of God and Christian teaching from being discredited. What's what's Paul concerned about? The Lord's reputation and theology and particularly the gospel, right? And so in the workplace, yes, there's several things that are not the same, but one thing for sure we see is respect to those above us 
Why? Not because they deserve it. They may not deserve it. But it's, it's for the Lord's reputation. It, it's, it's not for us either. It's not so our job can be a little more tolerable, you know. And that's what I talked to my daughter about, was that, listen, the reason we do this is ultimately for the Lord's reputation. So <clears throat> if you mouth off, you're no different than any other kid in the class. And they, need, they know you claim to be a Christian, so you're going to have to act like one. Well, that's not right. The Lord didn't ask your opinion, right? I don't know end of the day let me give you another as we look at this as employees we are called to serve with singleness of heart not duplicitous in disposition and in actions look at ephesians 6 this is an intriguing one ephesians 6 5 and 6 it says slaves obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to here it is as to Christ. So while many of the things don't apply, you could argue between slaves and masters and employee employers, one thing for certain, Christ must be preeminent in all that we do. Not like those, Paul goes on, who do their work only when someone is watching as people pleasers. Isn't that great? You've, you've worked with some of those people, haven't you? I mean, man, the boss is around, they're as busy as a bee. When the boss is gone, you know, they're back on their cell phones uh, looking through, you know, the latest scores in the ball games. But as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, he says. That's key. And so, as to the Lord, as Christ, slaves of Christ, all of that's reiterated what we just saw in First Peter. And then let me give you one more that fits, I think, as we look at First Peter as slaves and masters and applying it to our lives And that is our response to persecution and suffering speaks volumes. And and the suffering here is broad. It could be, you know, for you standing up for the things of the Lord. It could be whatever. But our reactions must display Christ. Go back to 1 Timothy and look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be offered, watch this, on behalf of all people. For the the louse of an emperor Nero, yep. For the louse of your master or your boss, yep. Pray for them. Even for kings, he says, and all who are in authority, that you may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and and dignity. And here's the kicker. Look at verses three and four. Such prayer for all is good and welcomed before God. Gives him glory since he wants all people what? To be saved. You know, I told our daughter, you need to pray for your teacher that you might see her through the Lord's lens and, and pray for her salvation. It changes everything, doesn't it? So the boss that's a jerk, the colleague that you'd like to ram over with the forklift, you know, you know, the type. It's like, are you praying for their salvation? Is your interaction so that, hey, I want to see them come to know the Lord. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 
The sad part is I've, I've met a lot of Christians that are more like Jonah and the whole issue with Nineveh. They don't want to see him come to the Lord, right? Burn the place to the ground. That's the best thing that could happen. And that's not what we see here in the New Testament. And so, again, maybe some of these principles that we can't directly apply, but I think there are some overarching ideas here that are very clear on, number one, our role is to elevate Christ. And all we do should be about Christ, whether you're the employer or the employee. Secondly, I think we are to serve in, uh, with a sincere heart. And third, why is because ultimately we want Christ to be glorified in their lives. And that goes back to the whole thing with government, doesn't it? With First Peter, right? The overarching statement we saw in, in chapter 2, verse 12 they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No. Does that mean you, you might suffer? Yep. I got a quote at the bottom of the notes. It's from one of our own. Al George over here wrote this book that is spectacular. It's called Faith and Fortitude. And Al wrote it, and, and, and now I, I, I cited you here because it's just a, a great statement you made in your book. He states, if relief, this is the bottom of notes, if does not come in the way for which you pray or does not come at all in this lifetime, I mean, ask the slaves. Many of them are never going to be free that Peter's writing to. Don't permit extended hardship to make you bitter and beaten for it's God's purpose to make you better. A better portrayal of Christ, the suffering servant we're called to follow. Christ is the, the prime example. And when you're struggling, you may need to go to the lunchroom, take a break for a minute and say, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. That's, that's how I need to live. Well, I hope that was helpful. Uh, again, we're not meeting next week, but two weeks from now, we're gonna, Peter's going to step on our toes even further, and he's going to deal with wives and husbands. And it's an intriguing text. Yeah, Rick. Uh, righteous indignation, I would argue there is uh, that when it comes to the Lord's reputation. But it's about the Lord, it's not about us. We're not re personally retaliating, um, but there is a place for anger, and I would argue it's in, the, in lines with keeping of God's reputation and that not tarnishing. And that's, to, to me, that's the catchphrase even for this whole section when we said it's... Um, uh, that when he mentions it's unto the Lord, that's what's governing all of this. Well, there's a lot to think about. This is not an easy text. And in fact, we could do a whole seminar just on government. And in the believer, we could do a whole seminar on slaves and how that relates to the employer-employee relationship. But hopefully this has got some things uh, thinking through. We've also, I, I provided a sheet, and you're welcome to it. It's a blue sheet, and it's some of some secondary resources that are related to the, the study of First Peter. You're welcome to have one of those. I also sent it out in that email. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. And these are some difficult things to think about. On uh, It's the thought that, yeah, we, we need to be like Christ. We got that. But when it, the rubber meets the road, that can be a difficult pill to swallow. And there's some in this room that right now are having some difficult road to walk because they 
claim your name. And I just pray for strength for them. Guide each one today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay. We've got got, uh, plenty of time here, but uh, have a great day. Lord bless you.